All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror. I'm Rob Holmes and I'm joined once again by Kelly Vigilante. Hey Kelly, how you doing? Great, I'm excited to do this. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being back. So if, if everyone didn't know on our last episode, we, we covered uh, an amazing little gem from 1986 called Nightmare Weekend. During this episode, we found that there was a movie in 1990 that was filmed in Virginia Beach called Night Killer. Now, we are from the Hampton Roads area. I grew up in Virginia Beach. I don't, I don't know if you did, Kelly. I did as well. Well, awesome. So this, this movie, hmm, we didn't really know anything about it. And then we found out it was directed uh, by Claudio Fragasso, who is the director of Troll 2. And I think, I think we all, or most of us, know Troll 2 as being the best, worst movie of all time that doesn't have trolls in it. Because Nilbog, spoiler guys, is goblin spelt backwards. Oh man. So you can see we're in for a treat right off the bat, knowing that this is done from the brilliant minds that brought you Troll 2. Kelly, what did you think of this movie? I have mixed emotions about it because the first half, I was on board. There were amazing one-liners and just silly situations with guns and suicide and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that sounds awful, but if you watch, if we talk about it, you'll get it. But then the second half uh, veered into some some weird territory for me. So although it was still absurd, it it uh, especially as a woman, I had to pause for a moment. <laughs> Yeah, it gets, um, there are doctors in this film who have no idea what the hell they're talking about, and you can tell that it's written from a misogynistic filmmaker's perspective who has no idea what the hell a doctor or a, psycholo or a psychologist would actually do in this type of situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is, it is very, it's wrong in so many ways, but... That opening scene is right in every single way. Now, it's been about a week since I watched it, so please refresh my memory. Which scene are you referring to? We open up into a theater scene. There's They're dancing right away. Um, and people are, are doing what I consider to be probably the worst dance scene ever. They're out of rhythm. They're not doing well with that. We get this this girl who is, I guess, Miss Ross, as as uh, her instructor says at one point. She's blonde. She comes in. Oh, she has the worst accent I think I've ever heard. You hear her talk and you're expecting her to sound like she's, you know, 20. And she sounds like she's late 30s heavy <laughs> smoker. Yes. <laughs> and you get the instructor saying there isn't going to be next time. And the woman's like, I promise there won't be. And you're like, you just set this girl up to get killed. Right? <laughs> so she appears, people are dancing. She's going to go upstairs. Fake ass Freddy Krueger 
by the way, the plot of this movie is is literally a killer dressed in a rubber Freddy Krueger mask terrorizes the city of Virginia Beach. That's the premise of this film. It's a shitty rubber Freddy, not even a Freddy Krueger mask. It's like Rawhead Rex meets Freddy Krueger. And this glove that is super <laughs> flimsy, like fleshy claws that can somehow punch through people. I gotta say, my favorite part about the Freddy Krueger mask is the fact that you can see the color and style of the hair coming out of the back. Yup. The claws can now cut throats at certain points. So uh, we we go up, we're expecting something interesting. We we get nudity right away. And I'm like, yep, this is totally this type of like an Italian horror. In lieu of like being called a sexist or whatever, I will say the caliber breast in this film were much higher than Nightmare Weekend. Much, much higher. Much, <laughs> just, much higher. Just gonna say. <laughs> it was it was night and day. And then I realized. You didn't hire this girl because she had a lovely voice. You <laughs> hired her for a different reason. So she um, gets murdered right away by fake-ass Freddy Krueger. Just mm -hmm. basically uh, you get these rubber claws, punches right through her. Like, you what? What? How mm -hmm. did you just punch through this person? And as I said, what, what, a bunch of times, that brings us to the director or choreographer who is having a meltdown. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of don't blame the choreographer with that dancing. I mean, was that what they really intended? Because it was aerobicizing slash dancing, as so many 80s films are. Yeah, the dancing was all over the place. I don't even know what the hell they're supposed to do. You cannot script how she had her meltdown. Words come out of her mouth that are not words. Yeah. She says she's going to go find Miss Ross, and that's who she's supposed to say she's going for. She forgets that line. You can see her forget that line. Trying to light this cigarette, and then she's like, I'm going to go upstairs and get her from the... I don't know what to say. I just can't. I can't right now because I'm so stressed. And you can see her not as her character, and they kept it in. I think because the director thought it was great and just told her to keep going. So she goes upstairs to see um, the night killer caressing uh, the dead body that he's just punched a hole through. This dude is like super strong, I guess. Mm -hmm. He must be some crazy creature or something like that. He's not. Well, I think the mask gives him plus five to strength and dexterity. So he's doing all right. That's an amazing mask. <laughs> that is that is some like those are powers that that's that's epic loot that he yes. somehow he somehow was able to get there. He was um, there to drop. Yeah. Now this this death that we get is amazing in so many ways. This actually might be my favorite. This woman who who played the choreographer, she is amazing in this movie. I don't know if she meant to be this stilted or terrible or whatever, but I love this performance because it is you you could not ask for something as amazing as this. She gets her throat slit, which you see in graphic detail. Immediately it disappears and she is just holding her neck and there's a little bit of like fake blood that you can see smeared on her hand 
and her neck looks perfectly clean, like she Wolverine magically healed that shit. Yeah, I, I kind of love that um, her acting is just so bad. There's no way it can't be genuine. She's, she can't speak because she's cut her vocal cords, but mm -hmm. she's she's healed. So her mm -hmm. healing factor is through the roof, yet she somehow healed on the outside, but those vocal cords can... Mm -mm -mm. It's just a metaphor for trauma. You're always scarred on the inside. <laughs> yeah. And, well, <laughs> oh God, she's trying to get down these stairs on this balcony for this theater. She's stumbling, and it's really terrible. And you can tell they're going for this epic-type shot where you see people dancing below, and mm. you see her death from above. And she's trying to, like, yell out to them, and she can't speak. And... Then he punches through her, <laughs> through her stomach, out of her back. She finally then is able to scream. I guess it repaired her vocal cords. <laughs> and she does like a front flip over the balcony railing. And she's she's dead. And the reaction of the dancers is just so good. They wanted to see if it was part of the choreography. Was like, was that front flip intentional? It's just like, what did she do? Oh, are we supposed to? Oh, it's so good. Uh, but apparently that that opening was a reshoot. That was all. So Claudio uh, Fergasso wasn't the only person to direct this movie. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. So he wanted it to be a tense psychological thriller with no gore. So he was focusing on the uh, the weird sex stuff. Mm. The producers wanted more gore, so they hired Bruno Mattai, probably pronounced that wrong, that's okay, to film additional scenes. And then apparently they had issues over the title. So claudio wanted it to be called night killer that was his intention the entire time and the producers wanted it to be called do not open that door three do not open that door in italy is texas chainsaw massacre what yep so they they basically are doing what a lot of films have done over the years where they try to say that they're a sequel to something that they're not it was like that whole cemetery man being called Demons 95, even yeah. when it has nothing to do with demons, right? What's dumb about this is Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 came out the exact same year. And it came wow. out just like right after this, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, but the producers in Italy had this called Do Not Open That Door 3. So it's a non-canonical -can uh, sequel, or I guess trequel, I don't know. It's it's an unofficial follow, yeah, an unofficial sequel to the series. Just and in there's title. no chainsaws. No, no, it, it's <laughs> and you know the the director and producers have even said the idea was Nightmare on Elm Street was really popular at the time too, so they figured let's do a Freddy character. Literally, this is how they're putting this shit together. They're they're doing that, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what else is popular? Texas Chainsaw. That's not all they do in this, and we'll get to that, because as I'm starting to piece this movie together, this is a symphony of bad ideas done perfectly terribly. It's like The Room. 
And, and what I thought Nightmare Weekend was, no, this this is like the room. This is the room of horror films. This actually goes beyond Troll 2. Troll 2 has re- redeeming value in it mm-hmm. as being very entertaining. There's something so wrong about this movie because it's mm-hmm. an amalgamation of everything that they saw in the 1980s and said, yes, let's make that. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a train wreck from start to finish. But at least at first, you can kind of laugh more than I feel like you can in the second part. Like, there are some great one-liners. So we've gotten through that opening scene, right? Mm-hmm. We get to the outside of this house. That's originally what he had as the opening scene, the house, is the mm-hmm. first shot. Best part of this movie is that title card. Remind me what it says. Night Killer. It is the best thing in this movie. It looks great. It is a well-produced title card. It is the best part of this movie, hands down. I'm so glad that it resonated so much with you. I mean, honestly, like, when I look at quality, that's the only quality thing that was put into this movie, of genuine quality, is someone took the time to make that title card and go, you know what, I want this font to look cool. I kind of wanted to have a 3D look to it. Mm. And I was like, you know what, that is quality. You did a good job instead of just type font how, let's say, Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning did, where they're just like, this is all we got. It's terrible. Well, to quote Rapey Dave, I'm glad it's quality, not quantity. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we get this guy coming to pick up this kid. Uh, and as they're walking through Ghent, by the way, they're walking through Ghent, Norfolk. And it's porno music that you're hearing. That is straight up porn music. If you if you um aren't local to uh, this area, what you should know about Ghent is that it's basically the hipster historic area of Hampton Roads. Well, now. Well, now it is. Yeah. Now this was so the house that take this takes place at um for the main character uh, who's Melanie Beck, played by Tara Buckman, who coincidentally happens to look. Pretty close to, she's basically a Linda Hamilton lookalike. Yeah. Especially when her hair gets very large later in the film. She is a Linda Hamilton in The Terminator lookalike. It is, it gets really weird later. And I'm like, you're really ripping this film off. So, yeah, her house is in Ghent. It's right by the Hague Bridge. So I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, oh, this is strange. Just said Virginia Beach, but I'm seeing Norfolk. And Throughout the film, there's a lot of Norfolk in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, someone calls the house, and you hear this person in a bar with the weirdest voice. It was. It really was. <laughs> how does he? How does he do? He's more like, yeah, it's I'm really doing... overly gravelly or something like this. It's also sing-songy, I feel, and kind of high-pitched at the same time. So it's this weird amalgamation of ick. He's like, what do you mean, Melanie? Ah, it's really That's bad. That's pretty freaking close. That's pretty good. <laughs> this guy, I guess, is trying to sound super scary. It sounds like a joke. It's really bad dubbing that's thrown in there. But then all of a sudden she starts talking to herself. And she starts to feel herself up. <laughs> she does. With this sweater that I think is about four times too big for her. 
Yeah. She just starts taking her clothes off, pretty much. Yep. She's feeling herself up. And then she starts talking to herself, being like, you're Melanie Beck. You're married. And you have the loving husband and the great daughter and a great family. And you're doing so. And it's like... It's everything you've ever wanted. So you're like, all right, this woman has a past, obviously, and now she's settled down. Okay, she's she's having a crisis of conscience. And does she have to say this to herself every time, like she gets up, or or is it just when she feels like she's gonna cheat on her husband? She's like, remember, you've got all this stuff you could lose, Melanie. Keep it tight, keep it closed. You know. Well, that's that's exposition for anyone because yeah. she just needs to tell the world, you know. Um, but yeah, it's this whole movie is is not really dialogue as much as it is exposition. The entire film, mm-hmm. anything that is said is just expository. It's to further the plot or to tell you the plot directly and nothing else. But uh, not smooth at all. It is it is so in your face and it is so apparent. Well, remember, we're also talking the director of Troll Two, who said to his cast in Troll Two. You're going to do the dialogue exactly as written. They weren't allowed to change it around. So you know it's going to be his dialogue or, you know, the producers coming in. And it's probably going to be in that same vein. Yeah, it's like a varicose vein. It's not cute. The lines. So we get to the we get to this um, dramatic moment. Like she calls the cops, right? Because she's gotten this caller she's upset about. and, And right. Is that where it's at? It was she calls the cops at this point. I has he? Because I know at one point when she's on the phone with him, and I don't know if he calls back twice, but he's like, Melanie, you're so sexy. I'm going to fuck your brains out. And oh, I just remember yeah. thinking that was so explicit and like atypical with movies like Scream and whatnot that it really caught me off guard. She calls up the cops and says, well, he said, you can imagine. And I was like, what, what, what can we imagine? Is she too proper to say it now? She was being way too proper to say it. So she never says it to the cop. And this cop's terrible. The line delivery is just absolutely atrocious. He's like, I'll call you back in exactly five minutes. She goes into the other room. She's waiting for a second. There's a call and she says, you said you were going to call back in five minutes. And this (laughs) other voice on the side goes, I can't wait five minutes, Mrs. Beck. I'm too horny. <coughs> Sorry, it's just such a bad line. It's killing me. <laughs> it's, oh. Are you all right? I'm fine. I'm oh fine. My I, gosh. Just, I forgot that he said that, and it just made me so happy. It's it's so bad <laughs> because I thought it was turning into like a Nightmare on Elm Street porno. The way he's in the shadow is very reminiscent of the first Nightmare on Elm Street where you see Freddy in the shadow for the first time. This dialogue is pure gold. It really is. She grabs this gun. She shoots through the wall at this guy. Albeit, this whole time, she's struggling to keep her top up. It is a war between the two of those. Oh, yeah. She's she's pretty much given up on that, though. Mm -hmm. She's got this gun. She shoots through the wall. And then he appears because he's obviously just gone around to the other door and she goes, no, you're dead. And his follow up line is, I was pretending. That is, I have 
babysat a lot of kids in my day. I've been a nanny. I've worked in daycares. And I hear that from four-year-olds all the time, arguing over, I got you. But that's the thing is that I feel like there were scenes that they didn't do of she shoots and then she sees him on the ground not moving or something. But it straight up went to shoot through the wall. He appears. No, you're dead. I was pretending. And I think it's right after that when he enters the room and he's like, I'm going to fuck your brains out because that line just made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. He gets he is so graphic and it's just creepy. And then we cut to this cop and all I wrote is this cop is the best actor, the best, the best. And that probably means he was pretty bad. And they talk about the trauma, how she forgot everything, even her daughter. Oh, yeah. But this emergency plan that they had was madness. No, no, Detective Clark, he actually is the best. This dude throughout the movie is absolutely amazing. He's wearing the trench coat, like the the Columbo trench coat. He looks like, um, okay, there was an animated show in the late 80s, early 90s called Cops, but not like the the one that was on Fox for years, but they had a guy called Big Boss and he was like the leader or the commissioner or whatever. He's dressed like he's cosplaying Big Boss. Maybe he was. He might have been. <laughs> and we have Dr. Willow, who this guy does not understand patient doctor mm-hmm. confidentiality at all. Oh, no, he's a total goss monster. Like, he can't keep a secret for his life. Yeah, it is. It's terrible. And they talk about right away, should we go with the emergency plan? No, that's madness. (laughs) And then we see the dude from earlier who picked up the daughter, and he's got this Band-Aid on his face. Mm -hmm. And right away, I'm like, well, he's your bad guy. Yeah. And either it's a d- bad giveaway or dead giveaway or bad continuity. I mean, they do try kind of bring it up to cover it a little yeah. later of he got me in the face. He stabbed me or slashed me. And now I'm never going to look the same. And his acting. His acting is something special. There's multiple actors in this film. They're all terrible in their own way. His is something to behold. And then this Axel's. No, yeah. Axel's, I think, might be the worst. Mm, mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. What do you, yeah, like his weird Southern, like, what do you mean? Thing. <laughs> I that, couldn't understand if he was supposed to have an accent or not. I, I don't, I think it was his way of doing like a Virginia Southern accent. Like, I think that's what he thought it was mm-hmm. supposed to be. It's terrible. By the way, the guy who plays Axel in this film, Peter Hooten, played Doctor Strange in the 1978 Doctor Strange TV movie. Oh, well. Wow. Okay, I gotta go back to to the guy who had the scar that looks like an uglier version of Jefferson from Married with Children, because that's all I thought about the entire time. Holy shit. That guy. Um, I knew it was him right off the bat because um, him and his wife are like, well, we're gonna take care of the child. And it's very obvious that they want to abduct and like have this child as their own. So before I ever saw the Band-Aid, I was like, yep, they want that child. No, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. 
they they were trying to basically take this child. Oh, she stays with us all the time. Oh, she's always with us. And then later on, you're seeing her, the wife, just be like, oh, she, Melanie's, she's terrible and she's a bitch and we want to take her daughter and she's our daughter. And then Sherman's like, yeah, she's not our daughter, by the way. You know that, right? She's like, no, she's our daughter. She's That's not like, hard because I thought he was totally in with that. I thought he wanted her for his daughter as well. But then we found out that his motive is just lust. Yeah, he's super rapey. He's yeah. he's a rapey killer guy. A lot of this, rape in the movies we watch, Rob. Apparently, and well, <laughs> you know, we're finding okay. So basically, we're finding these movies that were on VHS for a while, right? And then just you couldn't find them forever. There's a reason, probably. I think that might be it. She basically looks like discount Sarah Connor mm-hmm. in the hospital. And this dude, as he's trying to talk to her, is like six inches from her face. As this this doctor, as he's like explaining stuff. And he's so close to her face. And it's like, dude, you, you need to learn that there's a bubble. And she can understand you. You don't have to be that close. It is ridiculous. Considering um, their theories on trauma, I'm not surprised that this was a technique he utilized. Yeah. At some point, you know, she she decides she's going to go out. Her kids are, are not going to, her daughter's not staying with her for a while. They keep fucking telling everyone mm-hmm. about, like, all of this exposition is being told to the reporters. They are literally this doctor tells the reporters everything the neighbor uh you know the actually it's the neighbor guy and his wife at first it's sherman and his wife literally are telling the reporters all of these intense details about her life they do not give a shit about privacy and this is where it feels like the beginning of like a Greek chorus thing where it's all exposition on her past or everything that's going on being told to the masses and there's one reporter who always is asking questions whether it's to one person that this couple or uh to the doctor or you know to one of the cops or whatever it's so formulaic Mm. so So do you think that was intentional or just a coincidence oh totally intentional if if fragasso was as as clyde anderson he was uh credited in this film I love that they tried to like make his name sound more American. Yeah, and then Rosella Drudy, who is his partner, and she's mm-hmm. the one who who was wrote uh, Troll Two with him. Yeah, you can tell like why this script is so. Ugh. And it's they're they're trying to go with this whole psychological aspect of it. It's very much a psychological thriller, but I think they wanted to put in this this. Uh, greek chorus thing they they wanted to put that in there to try and give it like a bigger feel than what it really is those romans always stealing everything the greeks do at it again i know i know it's crazy right Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous Uh, (laughs) so yeah it's it's just such an absurd scene and we see this throughout the movie like this happens multiple times yeah then now this woman has she's driving she's going to be reckless or whatever you see she's got you know she's got a purse full of all sorts of crazy stuff mm-hmm. she's she's just going to go off and do something and this guy 
in a Jeep, perfectly timed, just appears up next to her as they're driving near the Rudy Inlet. This is by Rudy Inlet because I'm looking through all the streets and everything that they're going through at this point. He's being super creepy towards her and saying all this dirty shit. And she just like doesn't want anything to do with him and like drives off into uh, like this hotel area and Mm -hmm. parks and just goes in. And then she goes into the bathroom. Oh, my God. The bathroom. Such a beautiful thing. Um, When she goes into the bathroom and he follows her. And what does she Does she come out with a gun? Is that what she comes out with? Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. And she's, like, ready to throw down. She is not taking any shit, but she is not intimidating or believable at all, which makes it all the better. Yeah. She makes him strip and then flushes clothes down the toilet. And I love his reaction of, flush him? What do you mean, flush him? Like, <laughs> she's like, do it. Okay. And he's wearing this this basically banana hammock underwear. He was. So then she leaves, um, goes back into her car, and then he runs out of the bathroom, and this guy sees him, like the, the guy at the desk, and is like, what happened? And he says, I got molested in the little boy's room. <laughs> yes, he does. But he, so he yells it as he's, like, leaving, and he's, like, walking backwards. And nope. he does it with, like, so humorously... I'm like, is this a turn of phrase that he expects everyone to know? Is this a colloquialism that is supposed to be in Tidewater? Like, should I know this? Uh, is it? Is it? Is that what you say when someone stole my clothes? <laughs> and like, puts them in the toilet. And puts them in the toilet. And I love how she thinks that's going to stop him. I mean, obviously, this guy, as we can see him, is unhinged and a sexual deviant. And do you really think having his clothes in the toilet is going to stop him? apparently it doesn't because he already has clothes that he is putting on the second he gets back into his Jeep. He has a full second set of clothes with him. Like he knew. Does he have shoes? He didn't have time to put those on, but he is driving down the beach now or driving down the ocean front looking for her. And she's gone to the beach Mm -hmm. and she She's having a picnic, Kelly. She is having a picnic. I think that's one of my favorite. That is my favorite moment, hands down, is that picnic scene. Kelly, what's she she having? She is having all kinds of food. She's having a spread. But most importantly, she has just got a spread of pill bottles before her. She does. And alcohol, if I remember correctly. You got to wash that down somehow, right? You got to. You got to. You might as well live your life. By the time he sees her and gets out of the car... All of those bottles are open. They are all tilted to the side, and there's maybe a handful of pills left from tons of bottles, and she is chugging booze to, like, down them. The brakes screech. She's taking the pills. He's like, what are you doing? And she says, I'm committing suicide. What does it look like? You got to drink seawater. Her response, are you crazy? (laughs) And then... The music during this during this moment as he is throwing her in the ocean, forcing water down her throat, pouring this seawater. Basically, he's drowning her in the water. Yeah. Lifting her up, checking her, drowning her again, pulls her out of the water, drags her up on the beach. And she dry heaves. 
this scene as she's puking and heaving up all these pills yeah. goes on for like it felt like it went on for five minutes. It didn't. It felt like it. Oh, it felt like it. And and I feel like for this couple and, and all the fucked up shit that happens, I feel like this is foreplay for them. You're drowning her? Oh, yeah. I, it was just crazy to watch. Oh, my God. Wait, what if all of this is how they normally were with each other? You know what? I wouldn't be surprised. I See? See? Now it's less oh, creepy. Okay. So, guys, if you didn't know, we're just going to go into this because you should have seen the movie already because spoilers... This this creepy dude mm-hmm. who has been who stalks her and kidnaps her throughout the movie. Mr. Restroom Hustler. Mr. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mr. Restroom Hustler, as she calls him. It is super creepy. It is her husband. <laughs> the whole time. It is the entire time. He has mm-hmm. kidnapped her. He has tied her up. He has sexually assaulted her. Yep. Repeatedly. Tried to get her to commit suicide. Put a gun in her mouth. You know what's weird? It's super sexual. And if you were to say that this is like the new Fifty Shades of Grey film, like a low-budget version, you would probably believe it. Because there's some weird, kinky, Gerald's Game-type... Did you guys really... Is this all just a game? You know, it's not all a game with them, obviously. She did lose her memory, but mm-hmm. it is one of those things that it feels like whoever wrote this, well, who not whoever wrote this. We know who wrote this. Rosella Trudy <laughs> and Claudio Fragasso. <laughs> There's this weird sexual like rape fantasy that is just put throughout this movie. It yeah, is very it's... creepy. Isn't there a point when he's like dressing her up and like putting makeup on her like she's a doll? Yeah, he dresses her up like she's uh, like she's a prostitute. Basically, he tries to dress her up like more and more like a, a cracked out Linda Hamilton. Yeah. And you see it go throughout, and it's almost like this Bonnie and Clyde thing, where the whole purpose of this was to shock her into regaining her memory. None mm-hmm. of this makes any sense, um, because as we're finding out, this night killer who is just going around killing random people throughout this movie, mm-hmm. every time we see the night killer kill people, he chokes them a little bit, and then he punches through them. But apparently, we find out from all the newscasters, before he killed them, he raped them repeatedly. Oh, because they talk about finding the semen in her when they find her. Oh, yeah. my. Oh, yeah. Well, for, for the wife. Okay. Yeah. This, they talk about that. Holy shit. So when they find Melanie Beck, the doctors straight up are telling the reporters at one point mm-hmm. that the psychological trauma was so bad and that there was so much semen in her. Like, literally, it's almost parody because it's so bad. It, it, it's it, like it, the it, most disturbing way you could explain it. Like, as a woman, I was just like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. And I think right after they talk about how much semen was in her, then they flash to the daughter at her bedside. And I'm like, that is an awkward transition. Yeah, it's it's absolutely atrocious. And then the daughter tries to talk to her and says, Mommy, but the girl's like, what a lovely girl. And they're like, don't you recognize her? No. Woman, did you not just hear the girl say, Mommy? Like, it's all just neglected, you know? 
And and I don't know how catatonic schizophrenia works at, at any point, but I, I'm very confident in saying neither do they. So <laughs> Yeah, of course they don't. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Then we get this bar scene mm-hmm. where this monologue that this girl is giving is atrocious. Oh god, I forgot about her. The blonde with the the, the super short dress. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. God, I blocked her out. I remember now. I feel like this was also added in for, for like, the gore-type stuff. Anyway, he has her at the bar. They're talking. They go back to his place, and you see the mask there, and he puts mm-hmm. the mask on so we don't see his face, but we know it's the guy who called earlier because we know, you know. This girl's acting is awful. As she's telling this story... Basically, every time she stops for a story and tries to yeah. do something else, he gets super pissed off and he's like, finish the story. I want to hear the rest <laughs> of the story. And it's like a little Red Riding Hood thing that she's telling. And he's getting genuinely angry when she doesn't tell parts of the story. Like he's slapping his legs and he's like, I want to hear the story. <laughs> it, it is very much like a little kid. I think one of my favorite things that she does and please, I can't remember which parent it is. But she's like, I'm going to show my mom or I'm going to show my dad by, like, going back to his place with him. She's rebelling against some parental figure. And I just I found that incredibly amusing. Yes, it was. But it was and it was blatantly just said as a really terrible, mm-hmm. terrible line. So mm-hmm. what does this guy do? Well, he starts to choke her. And what does he yeah. do? He drowns her in plaster. But before he does that, when he starts choking her, she's like, I don't like this game anymore. Because when this begins, he puts on the Freddy mask. He's trying to seduce her while she's in the Freddy mask. And she's into it until he starts getting a little too rough. Yeah. And then she's like, ooh, not really into it anymore. Mm -hmm. So he starts drowning her in this plaster Mm -hmm. and then does it a few times. And then punches through her body. Why? Just because that seems to be (laughs) the M.O. of this dude. He must be the Flash because there's no way that he, as they always say during the news stuff, has raped this person before murdering them. Yeah. That is not, I don't understand. Like, the the continuity of this is is so absolutely ridiculous and absurd. But I think that's why you can't take any of this movie seriously because it's just... Stupid. He dresses them up as fake ass Freddy Kruegers and then has sex with them. And and she's covered in this what is it called again? The plaster? It's like plaster of Paris or whatever. You know, he, he she's covered in this plaster stuff and he, he puts the Freddy mask on and a weird weird like fleshy Freddy glove and I guess that's when he has sex with them. Yeah, I know. Um, he's definitely prepping. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's gross and weird and doesn't feel like it's part of this movie and guess what probably wasn't meant to be yeah because it definitely seems very out of out of tune with everything else he did because they never reference him doing anything like that again no not like that no no i feel like they just added stuff in to be like what can we do to make this really unsettling well then we cut back to the hotel my actually, you know what? This may be my favorite scene because the lines in this are great. Yeah. The, he walks in to the hotel room with a thing of fried chicken and he says, Fried chicken and French fries. 
God, I, I forgot about some of his non sequiturs. <laughs> yeah, they're so random. He falls onto the bed. Mm -hmm. He's eating it. He starts looking through some of the stuff that she has. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he says, Valium, syringe, <laughs> a gun. Oh my goodness. Barbiturates. And then just throws <laughs> the pills across the bed. And then we, you know, he's eating the chicken and she has the gun and she says she's going to kill herself or whatever. And she's telling him to do it or she tries to pull it on him or something. He's like, ooh, not again. Um, well, but the way like, they play it is they're trying to make it like he's almost trying to help her. Yeah. Making her realize she wants to live. And I remember before the big reveal, my husband and I are watching it, me and Adam. And we're just like, is he supposed to be the love interest or the villain? We right. never really understood until the reveal what the fuck was going on there with that dynamic. Exactly. Well, I think in, that's the problem. It's a tale of two films, right? And it wouldn't be good either one of them by themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not really good together, but they're an interesting dichotomy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do love that line of, you don't seem to get it, Mr. Restroom Hustler. <laughs> yeah. And so she is. She wants to kill herself, and but then he takes the gun, puts it into her mouth, mm -hmm. and then pulls the trigger on that, but it's empty, and she's mm -hmm. like, what are you getting at? When she was going to blow her brains out, he's eating chicken, and he's like, <laughs> he's right up at her face like, I love chicken, and he's eating this chicken all just like gross sexually, yeah. and she's talking about blowing her brains out, and he's like getting off on that shit. He is. And the, and the fact that, like, he's eating this chicken, and, like, and he's trying to get her to kill herself, and that's when she decides, no, I want to live. Maybe she just wanted a piece of that chicken. I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that chicken was so good that she was like, I smelled the chicken. It was right in front of my face. I I, I want to live now just for the chicken. And then he says a thing that I think is a giveaway, a dead giveaway is you're going to stay right here like a good little wifey. Oh, I missed that. That's and he's so like, cool. he says, I'm going to go blow off some steam. So he disappears. Well, then she has a meltdown against the door. And it is amazing. It is so good. It is so this is it is you just have to watch it like I don't care how much we're spoiling of this movie. And then you're like, well, you spoiled the whole movie. I don't give a shit. Just go and watch this. Go find it. It's on 2B TV. Go watch it right now. Mm hmm. Just for these moments, it's those. It's it's just cinematic gold. If you want to fast forward and, and just see some of the weird moments, you don't even have to watch the whole thing. Just watch some of these lines. Watch some of these meltdowns, the suicide attempts. These I, I know this sounds wrong, but those are the good parts. Yeah, and we're not we're not like we're not trying to make light of any of this stuff. No, like, God, these, no. These things in real life are serious things that are not yes. funny. In this case, it's being done so horribly and treated mm -hmm. in such a way. Yeah, that it's 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 comical mm -hmm. and it wasn't meant to be. But yeah, there we are. Um, mm -hmm. And now we get to the aquarium scene, which takes oh. place at the Virginia Beach Aquarium, which they call the 
Oceanographic Museum. I just thought that was the most awkward thing they could have possibly called it. But I don't I don't know if they wanted it to be a museum at first, because when we open up, we see this blonde and uh, in glasses and a lab coat. And I don't know about you, but I don't see museum workers wearing that ever. Oh, I have. You have all oh, damn. I'm just on culture then. No, 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 no. It depends on what they're working on. So, like, any of those ones that are like that, sometimes you might see people do it. I think they did it in this case to just... It tries to make you think it's something else almost. But then when it's Oceanographic Museum, you're like, you just didn't want to call it an aquarium. Okay. But you can see the exhibits clearly, shot for shot. Like, you can see the fish and the description right yeah, but there. That, that would also be in an oceanographic museum. Uh, I guess because I've been there so many times. And I'm like, oh, I know that exhibit. It's just... Uh. Yeah, no, that's what made this amazing. That's what made this whole <laughs> thing... That's what made this movie great is because, like, if you know the area, if you yeah. know Hampton Roads, you will see so many things in this movie that you're like, oh, I know that area. I know that area. They filmed this garbage there? Oh, man. Yeah, or it's like on the tip of your brain. It's like you know where it is, but you can't quite get it, and it's maddening. Like when you said The Hague, I was so relieved. I'm like, that's where it is. Yeah. I mean, as I'm watching this and I'm watching her go around at certain places in it, Mm -hmm. there's a couple of streets uh, by Rudy Inlet when Mm -hmm. they're driving around by the beach and he uh, takes her into the hotel and everything. Mm -hmm. Like It starts by the Rudy Inlet and then it ends at 33rd Street when they're actually at this place that makes it seem like they just walked down the street and were there. And then they make it seem like the oceanfront is also Ghent. Because they really make it seem like she's just been hanging out just right down the street the entire time at this hotel when her house is, you know, a block or two over or something. But if you know Virginia Beach at all, you know that around the oceanfront, there are no brick homes unless you go blocks and blocks away. So it's it's just really funny if you're a local and you're like, no. Well, and then at a certain point, you just see the sign that says Granby Street. And I'm like, all right, well, yeah, guys, there we go. We get to this scientist at the museum. Yes. She's walking around. And then, boom, she's dead. Well, she at least gets a chase scene, though. She get, Okay, she gets a minor chase scene. She gets chased through there. It was a beautiful chase scene, though. There were so many aquatic creatures in the background, you know, just bubbling and being majestic while she's getting hunted down for her life. And uh, I don't know. I found myself more interested in the fish than in her acting. I will say yes. The scene aesthetically had some cool stuff going on with it. She's checking some weird water pump valve thing that I think is part of an exhibit. Yeah, that's still there. I recognize that thing. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's still there. But she's trying to act like it it takes care of something majorly. (laughs) Like it's like it's something scientific. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so it's so bullshit. And it's such Mm -hmm. a great moment. But you don't even get to meet this person or know who she is. She's there to be killed. And it's just another death. It's just bad, man. I, I honestly think she's dressed up the way she is to like fulfill the hot scientist lady quota. Yeah, that's definitely how she's presented. Yeah. And I do believe we see her breast at some point. Oh, yeah, I think so. He probably yeah. does something like that, too. It's so weird. And then we get to Let's go to where she is and ask questions. And we meet that weird landlord who I definitely want to discuss. Yeah. So they're staying at this hotel on 33rd Street. That's the idea is he, he takes her down to that. 
And then there's this guy, like, she fires a gun off when he comes back in. I think she wrote on the wall, like, I kill you, kill me, or something. It was very weird. Yeah, I don't know. She's having, like, a meltdown. She's all dressed up. She's been decked, her, decked herself out to look mm -hmm. like Discount Sarah Connor hardcore style, mm -hmm. like, chase scene during the Terminator. We get her firing a gun off, this dude just showing up, and, and him just putting a dollar in his, uh, his glasses or whatever, and is like, go away. I do like that the husband, um, Etzel or Etzel or whatever the hell his name is, is um, talking to the landlord. Like, he's been living there for months. He's like, oh, are you and your girlfriend having a nice stay? You kind of get this little backstory thing, but there's not, because the second he finds out that he's wanted, mm -hmm. he calls the cops right away and is like, am I getting a reward? But he could be a character out of the Revenge of the Nerds series. Like, in a heartbeat. Just the way they do that over-the-top representation oh, of his yeah. glasses. And, and voice is kind of like this, but not that apparent, you know? Yeah. So Are they trying to make the everybody else cooler by comparison? Like, why else would they make him that way? It's a stereotype. Why would you yeah. not? If you're Italian directors coming over, what's an American stereotype? The nerdy, weak-willed... A uh, hotel owner who isn't going to stand up to someone. He got paid off by a dollar, and he seemed like that was a good <laughs> amount of money to him. Well, in 1990, a dollar was still worth jack shit, so I don't know. I don't know, but to him, it was it was something. <laughs> it was yeah. something important. We go to the museum. Cops are there. They're talking mm -hmm. about stuff. And these extras there, by the way, are just smiling and breaking constantly. All the extras in this movie... Because they know this movie's bullshit. Yeah. They're all trying to do their interviews. You have the one woman who you keep hearing over and over asking a hundred questions. No one, everyone else is just murmuring. And I'm like, yep, we get it. You literally are just trying to get us to do the Greek course. Tell us more. Tell us more, though. Get doctor, come out here and explain too much. Is this the scene? Because you told me in one of the scenes, in the crowd scenes, there is an FM 99 van, which is a local radio station that's yep. still going to this day. Yeah, there's an FM 99 van um, at the end of the movie when they're doing another cop scene. You see the FM 99 van. I think you even see it earlier when they're when they're going through in this. But it's right by her house at The Hague when they're filming. Man, it's nice to know that the rock station of Hampton Roads is there and, and they're into this. This is when we get back to the hotel, uh, when that's when he does, he she fires the gun, he has his booze that he drops, the clerk shows up, She's he bribes him off with a dollar, and we hit, we hit total Stockholm Syndrome moment. Oh, yeah. There's a point where he, um, she even says, he's like, what am I going to do? And she's like, you're going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Because when you know the movie, and you know what's going on, you're like, yeah. oh, Oh, it's like, do you remember? Yeah, I remember. How much do you remember? And it's like, okay. And then you start wondering, why is this guy drinking so much by himself? And he seems so relieved to get a drink inside of the stairwell. If you really analyze the film and try and break it down, the actors were probably doing it as like, yeah, this is what you would do because you're so stressed out over what's happening that you have to put your wife through this, even though you don't want to. Yeah. So you're hoping she'll just remember so it'll all be over. And if he's drunk, it kind of explains some of his line deliveries throughout the movie. What if he's having a mental break as well? And he's like, someone was molesting me in the bathroom. I mean, it might be. 
we never even meet the husband until really we find out that it's him at the end of the movie, but you never see him at any other time in the film. And even after the reveal, he still seems psychotic because he's got those crazy eyes and you're just waiting. It's the crazy eyes mixed with the voice. The voice is too, yeah. the voice feels forced, overly mm-hmm. forced, mm-hmm. which emphasizes the crazy eyes. But I feel like there's so much that there's so much that's wrong with this because their dynamic that they're having in this movie feels very like Kyle Reese, Sarah Connor, but rapey. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely vibes. And, and that's why I was so confused when he was first introduced. I'm like, is he the love interest? Is this their meat cute when she flushes his clothes down the toilet? Right. You know? And that's where it's, it's not really making sense, but I'm seeing that the, what they're doing is just pulling random shit from the movie they're just pulling random shit and putting in the film like from other Mm -hmm. movies we we know that when she's hit stockholm syndrome at this point Mm -hmm. she basically is staring off into nothingness and you know when she's like yeah you're the one who's going to kill me he gets disappointed you can visibly see in his face like if you once you know the reveal it's like oh shit okay Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't make this movie any better but at mm-hmm. least it gives it a little more layers to it, which I always appreciate in, in you know, trash horror. The hotel owner at this point sees in the paper that this dude, you know, that this woman, Melanie Beck, mm-hmm. has been abducted. That picture is amazing. She literally looks like a lioness with her hair just everywhere in that in that It's drawing. late 80s, early 90s, hairspray glory. It is a thing to behold. It's like Tina Turner would be jealous of that hair. Oh, my God. My aunt used to do that in the early 90s. She would put she would be in the bathroom four hours with all the hairspray and her hair was so stiff. You would have think she'd been fluffed in a porno like it was ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, my God. So this guy finally calls the cops. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I have to say that the cop extra in this car who gets the call is the best actor in the film. And that's not a joke. This is not me being sarcastic this time. Because it's like they said to him, hey man, can you just, what would you normally say in this type of situation? Mm -hmm. And they just filmed him doing his normal job. And it was perfect. I'm like, dude, you get the Oscar for this film. Basically, they go down to 35th Street near the old Howard Johnson's because you can see the old Howard Johnson's hotel down there. And the guy, as I said, he looks like Big Boss. The the other cop uh, who we meet earlier comes yeah. out looking like Big Boss from the animated show Cops. <laughs> he goes in, threatens this uh, the owner and, mm-hmm. because the owner's like, I heard there was a reward. And he's like, <laughs> do you want to get, he's like, you better get the hell out of here before I beat your ass or some crazy shit like that. Yeah, and the guy's like, oh. that he's bullying him. Like, if it totally fits that nerd motif. And I just thought it was hilarious. It was amazing. So Urkel Cop, because then I also realized with the glasses, he's kind of Urkel. So Urkel Cop decides that at this point he knows where the room is. You know what Urkel Cop's got to do? Take off his glasses in order to take out his gun. (laughs) These aren't reading glasses. He's wearing these all the time, right? Yeah. He has to take off his glasses to get his gun and you can see he's having trouble seeing he's kind of like he's kind of squints a little bit and i'm like oh no dude don't do that 
It, it's the only way he can he can shoot people, Rob. He just feels so guilty. If he sees it clearly, his vision of himself will be destroyed. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just being silly. Oh, I agree with you on that, though. I think you're right. Like, this guy, <laughs> it's just like, I, I would love to be there for the direction of, all right, so I need you to take your gun out. Okay, cool. What the hell are you doing? I just took the gun out. Well, take your glasses off, man. <laughs> but give them an Italian accent. Uh, <laughs> take your glasses off. <laughs> and not a stereotype. Uh, and, and not and not and not like a Super Mario like Super Show. That's the only Captain one I Blue Albano trying to do his like. That's the only that's one I can Kelly, that's great. That's it's so good. Now you know, he goes in there; they're gone. But guess what? They're not gone, and they get the upper hand. They run off. This guy's been duped. Sherman, the the Scarface dude, mm-hmm. is about to go out. Now we cut to his place. He's about to go out, and he has a gun with him. Annie is losing her shit. Annie um, is. His wife. Is Annie the wife or the daughter? Annie's the wife. Clarissa is Melanie Beck's daughter. Okay. Okay, cool. So right. Annie's losing her shit. At one point, which I, this line is fantastic, when he says, Annie, take it from me. The police are groping in the dark. And then if the guy comes after him, because he's the only one who's seen the killer, mm-hmm. he says, he's going to plug him one. <laughs> Right between the eyes, there's that pause. And then Annie is insane. She starts talking about how Clarissa's like their daughter now. Mm-hmm. And Clarissa overhears this, though. So Annie's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's a, it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. Like when she comes out to see them after they're yeah. having this intense fight, she's wearing this uh, sweater that has these two little bears that are hugging on it that says, squeezings, greetings. <laughs> And then once you see her, her line when the woman's like, I'm your mommy, I'm here. She just looks at her and goes, you're not my mommy. Yep. Oh, God, I just got a flash forward to what she does at the the end of the movie. But we'll get there. I I had forgotten about that. We will totally get there. And then. (laughs) Yeah. I have a moment on here. All I wrote was, wait, she just looked at the camera, WTF. Annie, if I remember correctly, does look directly into the camera at one point. And they kept it in. They did. Oh, yeah. And then the call to the department scene is like, I guess, you know, Bonnie and Clyde are having their little outing, which is, you know, Melanie and Axel. And he calls the department. And it's such a strange scene because she has all these times she could have run away, all these times that she could have gotten out of there. He's talking to the police department now and having this weird conversation with them saying, you know, when we realize something's going on. And then she runs into Sherman and she gets into Sherman's car and Sherman takes her away. And I just love how he just runs out there and he's just like, well, what do you um, think about it? Maybe he just realized that his wife is driving off with a real killer, and he's like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, they get so violent with each other. The the detective, the, you know, the big boss detective dude, yeah. 
and Axel, like the way that they're yelling at each other and all the shit that they're saying to each other. And it's like, he's like, if you don't bring her back, I'm going to make you fucking wish you were never born. <laughs> and you see this other cop who's an extra just sitting there like, you've made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's so good and very strange. And the other, the the doctor is there too, listening to all this because mm-hmm. he has to then tell everyone because that's his yeah. job. Uh, but now we're running down Granby Street where Sherman grabs Melanie is outside of the Wells Theater. You see the Wells Theater just sitting Mm. there. It's basically this, that scene is an advertisement for the Wells. Mm -hmm. It was really cool seeing Granby Street, like at that time period, just how different it looked. Oh, absolutely. They hold on to that for so long. And then what do we do? We cut right back to the Hague, you know? (laughs) <laughs> like right by the bridge, her address. I don't know what the exact street is, but it's 548. The building is 548. It's in that round near mm-hmm. the Hague Bridge. And we cut back. We see Sherman. We see that fucking terrible pasted on scar. Ugh. It is absolutely atrocious. He's like, okay, I'm going to go. And the second, the second that door closes, her clothes kind of start coming off as one does that that's kind of a thing her character does though yeah yeah i mean she just gets naked any chance she gets to i guess this is meant to be like an erotic thriller it's not Uh, but um sherman does say something uh i want to rewind just a bit when he was in the house with annie and um uh the, the the daughter is he says you know i've got to go save her i'm the only one who's seen his face yeah. When gossipy scientists said that, you know, Melanie was the only one who had seen his face. So I was like, well, there's your proof. It gets brought up and you're just like, there's only so many people in this movie. Who else is it going to be unless they're like, here's a random guy. And his hair just happens to match perfectly the hair sticking out of the back of the mask. Yep. She looks out and she sees Sherman. Well, she sees Sherman walk over to the phone out there and then she sees... Or she hears the phone ring, which that ringtone, there's two lines in the house, but the ringtone doesn't even sound like a real ringtone. Mm-hmm. It's like this. And so, shocker, it's Sherman. And she's like locked the door. And then she has well, she has this key. She holds this key first. And it looks like she's holding this key so tight that the first thing that popped in my head is, I'll use the key as a weapon. And that I'm makes like, too much sense. I'm just thinking to myself, hmm, okay, this isn't Kingdom Hearts, and that's not a fucking Keyblade. Uh, that ain't gonna work. And then she's like, no, I'll lock the door and just leave it in the door. A glass door. A glass... Like and that, luckily, that never comes into play. Like She could have just punched through, turned key the other way, open door. I mean, but he can punch through anything, even people, so she's not safe. He just could have punched the door right off the hinges with that magical gauntlet he has, apparently. It's not rubber, guys, and it's not a fake Freddy glove. It must be a magical gauntlet of power. Yes. When you say gauntlet, all I can think is Red Sorceress needs food badly. Like, that's immediately (laughs) where my mind goes. Well, now she remembers. Mm -hmm. She remembers everything. And I wrote on here, Sherman is such a terrible 
fucking actor. <laughs> I mean, really bad. And then we get a flashback scene. And I'll say this. Uh, Melanie Beck is never scared in any terrible situation that she is put in. Mm-hmm. When she is being physically abused by Axel and mm-hmm. apparently sexually abused, she is unfazed. Mm-hmm. Un. She's not upset. She's not crying. Nothing. She's not trying to get out of the situation. And the same fucking thing happens in this flashback. Mm -hmm. She is not the least bit scared. Mm -hmm. She doesn't seem like she is at all. She's like Mrs. Clingstone from Nightmare Weekend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's basically trying to get her like... So we get this flashback. We basically find out how he gets that scar. He is trying to get her to kill herself and he's going to untie her to get her to kill herself. And he's being so over the top and so over dramatic. And she's just sitting there and just listening. And then he's like, do it, do it. And then she stabs him in the face. And his line is, hmm, well, that was stupid of me. Yeah, dude, it was. It really fucking was. And this is what I texted you when I was watching this. You know, at the end of Terminator, you have the T-800 stalking her through the metalworks, right? And she's going after... It's going after her, it's going after Kyle Reese. Mm -hmm. In this case, Discount Sarah Connor is the T-800 coming after Sherman. The way she moves down those stairs, the way her she's holding stuff as she's coming after him... It's almost identical. It looks very much like, hey, what if Sarah Connor was the Terminator? We cut back. He's still talking and and giving all these lines about all this crazy shit. And it's like, you tried to kill me, but you didn't succeed. (laughs) And he's going on about how she's such a tease and how long he's wanted her. It doesn't even make sense with the other killings that have been going on. You know what I mean? Like... This almost seems very isolated, which I guess, you know, is, as we can tell, is a product of two two directors. The line delivery at the end, and there's so much bad line delivery of "Goodbye, Melanie Beck." <laughs> he mega blinks during Melanie Beck, and then she's like, "Oh no, I'm totally into this. You just should have told me. Yeah, we could totally do this." And he's like, wait, really? <laughs> and this cheap-ass seduction technique works on him. It totally it works. He's, and then she takes a knife. Kelly? I don't remember that well. She stabs him in the dick. She stabs him in the dick. Oh, she God. Stabs, 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 stabs him in the dick. She does stab him in the dick. Oh, he deserved it, though. A hundred percent that motherfucker deserved it. It's a long blade, too, and she gets him right in the balls, probably up through. You don't see it in close-up, but I like to imagine that she totally just shish kebab the shit out of him. Yeah. He is still holding the gun and holding his crotch, and just blood is pouring from it. And he's just like... Axel appears... But it's not Axel, it's a stuntman. And he jumps through the door. He doesn't jump through, like, the center of the door, which Mm -hmm. is also glass. 
he's going through the very top of the door. Mm -hmm. He's like, I have to make sure that my jump launches me three feet off the ground so I can have enough time to go through this glass and then mm -hmm. do a tuck and roll uh, so I don't hurt myself at all. Mm -hmm. Then his hair changes when we cut to a different shot and we realize the stuntman's gone. And it's Axel with a gun. And mm -hmm. he shoots he shoots Sherman a lot. Yeah. Like a lot. Like he is making sure he is down for the count. Like like a lot. Sherman <laughs> is Swiss cheese at this point. Like he is done. Good. This is where I saw the FM99 van outside of the house. <laughs> because the, that's when the press appears again, mm. and this is where this is where I realized like it it had to have been this whole Greek chorus thing that they've been trying to do the whole time, mm -hmm. because you get more explanation to the press, and it's literally giving everything away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kelly, w why don't you explain what what their methodology was? Their methodology? Do do you mean like when they broke it down as to what happened? Like um, how the the husband was going in to pretend to kidnap her and traumatize her to reset her schizophrenic catatonia because that was the only way you could get her to remember was to jumpstart her with rape and trauma, which is obviously very scientific in nature and not horribly misogynistic at all. They also said it was madness because it was an emergency plan. And it is straight up madness oh my god yeah like they were legit right on that yes that plan is straight madness do not do it they tell the husband not to do it like he's not the plan was don't do it and the husband goes you know what i'm gonna do it anyway he loves her so much he is willing to be a restroom hustler like no qualms about it he's down the fact that they think that's what love is 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 so disturbing on so many levels he explains it to her at the end, yet she seems totally cool with it. She praises him for it. She's, like, so happy. Like, he's her hero for doing this for her. Is there is this, like, something they would normally do in their relationship? Like, some sort of fantasy stuff? Yeah, like a role play. Yeah. Extreme role play or something, mm -hmm. you know? And I know this is a weird feeling, but even when he had, like, abducted her and he was supposed to be meeting for the first time, I'm like, why does this feel like this is familiar to them? Yeah. Like, it felt yeah. like it had happened before, like, by rote kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. she just goes along with stuff very easily. It's following the beats that are laid out in the script and adhering to these rules that there are no real rules. And then we get this fucking ending. Oh my God, fucking Clarissa. By the way, no one's fucking Clarissa. <laughs> let's, let's, let's put that out there. I would be surprised. <laughs> this movie is wrong, but it's not, it's not hitting on that level, no. Because even in this, we never see anything, really. We see yeah, more sex. We see more sex during the pinball scene, a nightmare weekend, than we do in this. You know, one thing I will say for this film is there is no back kissing, and I gotta say that's a relief. It's all about you know punching through people, not assimilating them. So when we see the family together, they're all giggling and snuggling in bed, being all wholesome. You know, yeah. like wake up on Saturday morning, and Clarissa gets a package. She gets a present uh, because apparently it's Christmas. We get this long speech. The speech keeps going back and forth between Axel and Melanie. And he's like, I'm so sorry, all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, stop acting. Your acting is bad. Just be your be husband self. And then I'm like, oh, 
no, this is just a character choice. Fuck. And no, killer him and husband him are the same. The acting doesn't Exactly, and that's that's what makes this really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So they keep talking, and then he has this moment of, but what effect could this have on Clarissa? <laughs> She's gotten this package. We see the paper wrapping go everywhere. We get the swell of shitty music. Mm-hmm. And she pops up into frame of the mirror wearing the mask. And she says, Hey, Melanie Beck, I'm coming after you. You thought I was gone, but I'm back. Like they're setting it up for a sequel or something. That's never going to happen. Thank God. Yeah, I mean, it's... And she's staring at the camera when she says all this stuff at the end. And I'm like, no, no, no. Now you're telling me that this movie is about a possessed mask? Wait, is that what it, is that what it's implying? I just thought that the trauma, that's how it affected her. You think it's possessed? She got a present that was a mask. Who the hell would send her the, the fake Freddy mask unless it was the wife who is now trying to, has been doing something to, like, mess with the girl. But I feel like they went with this supernatural vibe of we need to throw in this shock ending for sequel bait. And I think they had no idea what the hell they were, they obviously had no idea what the hell they were doing. Yeah, and the mask would have been on his dead body. So who got it? His wife. Mm. I mean, remember, she was, as we saw, Annie Annie was not okay. She's not okay. She's not okay, <laughs> Annie. Uh, yeah. Annie's uh, got a gun. Yeah, actually, she probably would for the yeah. sequel. It's just, what the hell was this? I I don't know. Like, it started off with such promise. I don't know about you, but I was excited at first. Because I thought it was going to be like the same good-bad dichotomy that so many of those classic horror films have, like Nightmare Weekend. But then it just it just got worse and worse, and not in a good way. You know what? I I They tried to go psychological, yeah. and they failed miserably. But in their failure, there's a lot of layers to try and pick apart what their intentions were. So... yeah. Having seen like the documentary best worst movie Patrol Two, mm-hmm. I I can understand potentially what they were going for with mm-hmm. their idea of psychological trauma and this weird erotic thriller that they were doing. But yeah. then all of a sudden you're seeing like mm-hmm. this is pure trash. This is like so, this is basically in the way Nightmare Weekend was made by people who did softcore porn and yeah. just porn in general. This, it Mm. almost feels like they were going for, like, a thriller version of Red Shoe Diaries with this. Well, and I don't even think it's the scenes or, like, the writing or the dialogue that really got to me the second half. I guess what got to me, like, especially being, you know, like, a woman is just, you know, that rape could reset trauma and kind of almost making light of it. And and then um, also just the, the sheer misogyny that overwhelmed the second act. I I guess maybe it just got to me more on a personal level and it just made it a lot harder for me to not view it as extra cringy. But I mean, the funny parts were still funny, but that just, I think, really got to me. It is extremely cringy. It's kind of like in Nightmare Weekend where, you know, we said on that, this is a movie that you have to see on how you could put together a really terrible movie, especially Mm -hmm. with editing. Yeah. Here's how you make a really bad movie on concept nightmare weekend is a great concept poorly executed Mm -hmm. this is an awful concept 
This is an absolutely terrible concept for a movie that should not be done. It is terrible in every way, but it's done in such a terrible way mm-hmm. and so over the top that it's just like you can't look away. I don't know. Like, for me, I, I don't think I'll watch it again. Like, don't get me wrong. There are some great lines in there, and there is some really awful shit that I that I kind of love. But I don't know. I think just the, just the concept that you were talking about, I think it got to me so much that I don't know if I want to do it again. Yeah, I agree. This mm-hmm. isn't something I would want to go out of my... There are clips that I would watch again that are, are great. Oh, my God, uh, yeah. Clips of this movie are fantastic. This movie as a whole, watching it, if you don't know what's going on, it's super wrong and super rapey. If you know what's going on, yeah, it now has taken it to a whole other level of psychological trauma. Like, if you take that suicide picnic, because that's what I'm going to call it, the suicide picnic scene, and you isolate that without any context, and you just watch that, watch it on repeat. That's gold. There's, there's like, you could do a compilation that's probably about 10 minutes oh, yeah. long of this movie that could pretty much give you everything you need from it. I still think some of the lines that are given by the Night Killer, oh, yeah, as awful as they are mm-hmm. and, and disgustingly cringy, <laughs> are, um, uh, great. Because no, they need to be included. Yeah, yeah, they, they would need to be included because they're they're absolutely terrible, uh, and it's a whole new level of just like, really, dude? Like, really? Like, why? Yeah. Mm. Like, no, it was like so many individual elements were hilarious, but I think by the second half when they came together for me, I was just like, oh, very oh, loose yeah. ball being displeased moment. Oh yeah, no, there was there was a lot of stuff where it was just like, this is not this is not cool. Yeah. The Greek chorus stuff. <laughs> I just couldn't. That that to me was the biggest invasion of any privacy yeah. of everything. And at that point, when you see doctors and cops on the news just divulging the most private information yeah. that, in, in terms that no one would ever use. Just yeah. it sums up this movie. One thing I was pleased to see is that at one point, one of the cops was, in fact, eating a donut. So I was glad to see that stereotype still alive and well. Well, good. At least at least something in this film was realistic. <laughs> because the rest of it was just an amazing clusterfuck. That being said, mm-hmm. would I recommend this movie? Oh, that's a loaded question because there are components of this movie that are great that I really like but I don't know I recommend clips of this movie (laughs) I mean we even said it this movie would be great in clips maybe uh, 10 minutes total yeah you can start with the the choreographer's meltdown I feel like yeah you know actually if we took out about 5 minutes of this film and it, it would be it would be one of the funniest things ever made. Yeah, it's mostly it's that context that those minutes put it in that make it really gross. Then we take that context out. Yeah. We would have to we'd have to go in there and edit it ourselves. You know what? Maybe maybe there will be Night Killer the O oh, the Horror edit. <laughs> if you get bored enough during the quarantine, do it. 
I mean, I might. They, it could happen. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Such as this movie existing. But I, I will admit, like, this is so cheesy, but whenever I saw a landmark from Virginia Beach, or when they said Virginia Beach, I would just giggle. Because nobody ever talks about this this trash town, so it made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I will say, like, that. that is the one thing, too, is, like, w- if you're going to watch this movie, you'll see some cool landmarks, you'll see some local stuff if you're from the area. If... If you're cool with movies getting ultimate cringe, mm-hmm. then watch it. Like, cool. You you'll probably be entertained in a very horrible way because it's like if you just... like exploitation films, or I mean, maybe not like them, but have a tolerance for them. Like, you'll be fine. Yeah, you're right. It is, and it's an exploitation mm-hmm. film, totally. Yeah. Um, overall, though. It's a movie, it exists, it's from the director of Troll 2, and now I understand why it's not as big of a cult classic as Troll 2. Yeah. If it had gone in the vein of the first half, I think it could have been. But I think it's just that second half and that context just killed that. That was the whole plot twist thing, yeah. Essentially, (laughs) the plot of the movie killed the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was the real night killer, was the plot. Oh my god, it was. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Kelly, that just blew my mind. Um, You're welcome. I think I think that sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly, for being on again and watching another questionable film. I would say yeah. Nightmare Weekend was much better as far oh, as yeah. just like great concepts and stuff. This. I mean, there were some great quotes out of it, like the the restroom hustler one. And what is the one about the bathroom and the molestation? That was a good one. I got molested in the little boy's room. Oh, yeah, and I'm trying to commit suicide. What does it look like? <laughs> yeah. You know, like those are gems. Fried chicken and <laughs> French fries. Only said like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that in itself sells this <laughs> film. Quite frankly, that should have been the tagline. Fried chicken and french fries, followed by Valium, syringe, a gun, and barbiturates. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, that'd be a great tagline. Yeah, well, if I if I do that re-edit, that's yeah. the new tagline. That would be beautiful. Oh, man. I don't know if I could actually sit through in an editing room with this movie for that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But um, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, Next time I watch a film, I will take notes. I felt so bad leaving you hanging. I'm like, I don't remember. No, 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 that's totally fine. Even at my, through my notes, I'm like, I don't remember all of this movie because it is such a train wreck. You know sometimes how you fall asleep during bad movies and it's like a self-defense mechanism? Yeah. I feel like I forgot a lot of this as a self-defense mechanism. Honestly, I don't blame you. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of this film that... I, I remember it. I have fond memories because I'm only remembering the good stuff. Yeah. And I am pushing out all the terrible stuff that's in this movie. And oh, I yeah. am glossing over a lot of it because I'm like, well, I just remember these funny lines. Yeah, no, that's what you should take away. Like, the yeah. funny thing is, it reminded me of Sucker Punch. I'm going to tell you why. Is because when I I was so excited for Sucker Punch. Like, so was I was I. there opening night. Like, I was so excited to see it because of the visualizations and Zack Snyder and everything. But um, I ended up leaving feeling like I was going to be raped because they never really empowered those women. 
not really. And it just, it left me feeling like really uncomfortable when I left the theater. And apparently there was supposed to be a scene where Rocket had consensual sex with the guard. And if they had left that in there, that would have been great as a woman to see, like seeing some empowerment. But as it stood, like I, every time I watch that movie and there are so many things I like about it, I always leave feeling uneasy. And that's what this movie made me feel was that sense of unease. You know, it's weird. I, I never finished Sucker Punch. What? Really? I, I own the director's cut because they had it on sale. I had never seen it and I bought it. And then as I'm watching it and being like, oh, that's what this movie is. No, no, I'm good. I'm out. Like, you it just. want to see Poe be creepy? No, I really don't. Like, once yeah. I saw how he was being in this, and I'm like, yeah. and I know where the movie was going. Yeah. I know the ending of it ahead of time. So I was like, no. Oh my God. That's like a, a, a bad exploitation film in some ways as well. God damn it. I yeah. love the soundtrack, though. That soundtrack. Soundtrack, is yeah. Soundtrack's, soundtrack's great. Amazing. But they tried to yeah. go. They tried to go with like the Brazil ending, except mm. the Brazil ending done in an exploitation film type way. That's yeah. not how you want to do a film like that, and you don't want it to be like, well, they won in their mind. No, you just no. Yeah, like the visualizations for that when she would go into the fantasy world were stunning, amazing. Sure, but like I was hoping yeah. when I saw the trailer that that was going to be the fucking movie and not just so in someone's I. mind. I was like, give me some weird fantasy realm tearing shit where they're going through like different realms and different dimensional planes in order to get back to where they need to go. I'm entertained then. Yeah, I don't want to watch a movie about women trying to escape a brothel. Like, that's not for me. No, no. I mean, it's just like once I realized what that was, I'm like, oh, you guys, you made the wrong movie. And Zack Snyder, dude, you wrote this and you don't. Yeah, don't. Yeah, and it's it's just weird because this movie reminded me of Sucker Punch in that vein. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. one of those where it's yeah. just like this movie when you get to what the plot really is, yeah. it 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 destroys itself based on its plot. It does. Yeah, well that's that's Night Killer everyone. Uh, <laughs> a little a little classic that came out the exact year as Troll 2 and obviously was overshadowed by Troll 2 which apparently is the better film hmm. <laughs> it is what it is yeah anyway I think yeah that'll that'll do it for us this week on Oh the Horror Kelly thanks thanks again for being on and doing this we're gonna bring you on again for another episode that's way better than Night Killer we're gonna find a movie that is like not this. <laughs> Hooray! So with our powers combined, we're going to yes. figure that out, and soon there'll be another yeah. episode. And until next time... Fried chicken! Fried chicken and french fries! <laughs> Look at me, Damien! It's all for you! <laughs> now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk